Well, good morning. Happy Resurrection Day to you. If you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, be reading verses 13 through 18, First Thessalonians chapter 4 starting in verse 13, it's good to be back with you today uh, after the death of my father, a uh, very difficult time for my entire family, uh, my brother, sister and I actually had to to make the painful decision to have my father removed from the, the ventilator, and we were then with him as he, as he passed away. Uh, I then had the very difficult privilege of preaching at my father's funeral, which I know my father would have wanted me to do, to stand up and preach Christ on that day. Uh, but not an easy time for our family, and on behalf of my entire family, I do want to thank you. Uh, for the way you have cared for us over the past couple of weeks, the, the many prayers, uh, the many, many words of comfort uh, through emails or through, through cards, uh, help with our kids, uh, help financially. Uh, we, we have felt your love. Uh, we are eternally grateful for our church family. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And listen, it is a joy today uh, for me to step right back into the pulpit to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord is risen, and that is very good news. Uh, Let's pray before we read. Well, Father, we just pause here before you, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things. You're good, and you do all things so well. It's hard to see sometimes in a broken world, but we believe that's true, that you are still Lord on the throne of the universe. You're good, and we thank you, Father, for Jesus, the gift of your only Son. Thank you, Father, for his life, his death, his resurrection, especially uh, here this morning, that Jesus rose again from the dead. We bless you for it, Lord, as we just turn to your word here. We just ask you for your blessing upon this time. We trust that you will do it for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Amen. You know, 
death very up close and personal to our family the last couple weeks. And death, no matter how you look at it, is just a very painful thing. It is just so painful to lose someone you love. Painful for me to lose my father and to lose him so suddenly. Didn't know he was going to pass away when he did. He went in for a surgery, uh, ended up on a ventilator, and by the time I was by his side in Phoenix, he was unresponsive, and within 24 hours, my father was gone. No final conversations, no final goodbyes. He was gone. The next morning, my brother, sister, and I climbed the mountain behind my dad's home. It's called Lookout Mountain. We have renamed it Dad's Mountain. And at the top of the mountain, my brother took a little picture of this little trail sign there at the top of the mountain. And my brother, when he got back down from the mountain, started looking more closely at what was actually written on that little trail sign. And it said this. You probably can't read it, but it says, End of Trail. And my brother then posted the photo on Facebook, and he wrote, We remember Dad today with a hike up his mountain. Yes, end of trail. The end of the trail for my father. And uh, I know it's a bit sobering on Resurrection Day to consider that that will also someday be the end of your trail. We will all die. And man, that is... That is one reason why the resurrection of Christ is such good news. Because when it comes to death, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it changes everything. Jesus Christ in His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ conquered death for everyone who truly trusts in Him. Jesus in His resurrection, Jesus opened up for everyone who believes in Him a future beyond the grave. And for just a few minutes this morning, I'd like to think with you about the Christian's future beyond the grave. This passage here tells us two important things about the Christian's future beyond the grave. And one thing we learn here is this. The dead in Christ are now simply asleep. The Apostle Paul originally wrote 1 Thessalonians to a group of Christians who were in this town called Thessalonica, a group of believers there who were trusting in and following Christ. And those Christians there in Thessalonica, to whom Paul wrote this letter, they were, they were struggling at the time. Several believers from their group had recently died and the believers who were still alive there didn't yet understand what really happens to a believer when he dies. And, and these believers who were, just, who were still living, well, they just assumed that those deceased believers would now miss out on eternity with Christ. They would miss Christ when he returned. When he comes back to this earth the second and final time, they just assume they would miss Christ and therefore they wouldn't spend eternity with Christ. And those believers who were still living with this this idea about death where it was just the end, well, they had been plunged into this hopelessness concerning their deceased believers Paul says in verse 13 that they were grieving without hope. They were grieving in despair for their deceased loved ones. 
They thought they were just gone for good. They'd never live again. They'd never be seen again. No eternity for them in Christ. And so Paul wrote this letter. And one of the reasons he wrote it was to teach these believers who were still living, to teach them what really happens when a believer passes away. And one thing Paul says here is that a believer who dies is now simply asleep. Three different times in this passage, Paul refers to deceased believers as sleeping. Verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And Paul uses that same word in verse 14 and that same word in verse 15. And he's just sending a signal to those believers there in Thessalonica. Your deceased loved ones, believers, those who are now dead in Christ... Well, they are now simply asleep. And man, you just think about that word, asleep. Those deceased believers are asleep. That's such a kind and tender word from the Lord. Man, that word death is so harsh. It's so final. And yet God speaks over his people and says they're asleep. And that word, it just it simply speaks of, of rest, of peace, of comfort. And that is death for every true believer. Have you ever, you ever tucked your kids into sleep at night? Well, that's essentially what death is for a believer. It's essentially God the Father tucking you in to sleep. But you know what? We really need to understand something here with this word sleep. The sleep of a believer at death, it is a physical sleep only just the body that now sleeps the the spirit of that believer after death is still very awake more awake than it's ever been before the spirit is now with Christ and that happens instantly right at the point of death the second a true believer takes that last breath the second a true believer's eyes close in death the spirit goes instantly to be with Christ there's no delay it's instantly to be with Christ. When Jesus was crucified, two criminals were crucified on crosses next to him. And one of the criminals, right before he died, this man had had no faith in Jesus up to this point in his life. He'd done no genuine good works flowing out of a heart of faith. But at the last second of his life, he turns to Jesus in true repentance and faith. And he says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at this criminal right before he dies. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Not a thousand years from today. Today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal's body would go in the ground, but his spirit would be with Christ. And that's every true believer at death. The spirit goes instantly to be with Christ. And the body now in the ground is simply asleep in God's eyes. But, but please hear me on this. The Bible says that that right there is only for people who die in Christ with a true and living faith in Christ. Let's, let's just think about death here 
for a second. The Bible says that human beings now die because of sin. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God. God created us for his glory, created us to worship him and to enjoy him forever. But all of us have turned away from God in many different ways. We have all rebelled against the God who created us in, in our words, in our, in our thoughts, in, in our actions. We are sinners, all of us. And the problem is that you can't remove your own sin once you've committed it. Can't get rid of your own sin. A lot of people think they can. I was really bad in the past. Well, I'm going to change that. I'm going to be really good now and somehow make up for my past, somehow get rid of my past. But it does not work like that. You cannot wash it away. Once you've sinned, it's there on your record, on your heart, it's on your hands. Some of you may know of um, Shakespeare's play, Macbeth. Well, Lady Macbeth in that play, sleepwalking one night. She's tormented by her past. She sees this blood on her hands. She rubs them furiously and yells, out, damned spot. But she can't wash the blood away. And that's sin. You, you cannot wash it away. And, and because of our sin, the Bible says that we now live underneath the wrath of God. Ephesians 2, we are children of God's wrath. We've, we've sinned against a just and holy God who cannot and will not tolerate sin against his glory. God is a loving God, he is, but God is also a just and holy God who must and who will punish sin. As sinners, we live underneath the wrath of God, and the Bible says that because of our sin, we all now die. Romans 6.23, the wages or the payment for sin is death. Man, if you stop and you think back to the Garden of Eden, the first part of the Bible, when, when God first created mankind, he didn't create us to die. He didn't create us to die. He created us to be able to live forever in his presence with, with joy. He didn't create us to get old and frail and lose the people we love. He created us to live but the Bible says that death entered the human race through sin, a result of our sin, payment for our sin. My dad died because of sin. I will die because of sin. You will die because of sin. And when mankind rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just man that began to suffer and die. No, the Bible says that all of creation then began to suffer and die. The Bible says that when humanity rebelled, all of creation was then subjected to futility. All of creation was then enslaved to death and decay. And things instantly all over the world began to get old and began to die, including human beings. It was now a groaning world, the Bible says, a broken and fallen world, and we did it. We did it with our sin, our rebellion against God, rebelled against him. We were now living under the wrath of God. We had broken his creative world, and yet God still loved us. And because God loved us, he sent his son. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he sent his only son. 
The eternal Son of God came to earth. He took on human flesh, the one and only God-man. And on this earth, Jesus did what we failed to do. Jesus glorified God the Father perfectly. A sinless human being, the Bible says. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is the only person on this planet who did not die because of his own sin? No, Jesus on the cross, he took upon himself the sin of others. He took the wrath for that sin upon himself. He took the payment or the wages for that sin, which was death. And man, because of what Jesus did on the cross, God can now freely forgive you of your sin. And God can now remove the wrath of God from you forever. God now offers forgiveness to you as a free gift. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. He offers forgiveness to you as a free gift. But please hear me. The Bible is very clear about something. In order to receive this gift of forgiveness from God, you must respond to God in a certain way with repentance and faith. The Bible says that you must repent, which means that you must have a change of mind. You have a change of mind towards your own sin. You have a change of mind towards God. You've been living your own life, doing your own thing, not really caring about your sin, not really caring about living for the glory of God, and you now have a change of mind, and you turn toward God, and you confess your sin to God, and you ask God for mercy. That's repentance, but you also must have faith. You must believe. You must put your faith in Christ as your Savior and Master. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. And listen, if you do have a true faith in Jesus Christ, you will begin to follow Christ in your life. You'll begin to to read His Word. you begin to obey His Word. you begin to pray to, to, to Christ. You, you'll, you'll begin to get connected with other believers in a local church. You'll begin to follow Jesus Christ in your life if you truly have a genuine faith in, in Christ. In order to receive God's forgiveness, you must repent and believe. You are not forgiven just because you are baptized as a child. You are not forgiven just because you go to church services. Or take the Eucharist or communion. No, you're forgiven by God. If and only if you truly repent and trust in and begin to follow Christ in faith. And the second you truly do that, the Bible says that God forgives you of all of your sin. And God removes his wrath from you. Washes the blood from your heart, your hands. And the second you then die, dead in Christ, your spirit is instantly with Christ in paradise. And your body is now asleep in the grave. (laughs) But if when you die you have not truly repented, you do not have a genuine faith in Christ, you're not truly following Christ, Christ, if you die with your sin still on your heart and on your hands, if you're still living under the wrath of God when you die, the Bible is very clear. You will not live in paradise. You'll experience the full wrath of a holy and just God 
in a living, conscious hell forever. Man, the death of Christ is really good news for those who trust in Christ. I believe my Father's spirit is now with Christ in paradise because my Father died with what appeared to be a very genuine faith in Christ. He was not a perfect Christian. He would have admitted to it, but none of us really is. But my father appeared to have a very genuine repentance and faith, a true and persevering faith, loving Christ, uh, loving the Word, seeking to obey the Word. I had a really sweet experience when I was in Phoenix uh, for my father's death and his funeral. I was able to sit uh, every morning uh, and read my Bible and pray in the same chair my dad used every day to read his Bible and pray. And the first morning after his death, I looked around the chair and I saw all of these Bible reading cards that my dad had used. And I picked them up. And my dad, for seven or eight years, just on these cards, he had read through the Bible every year and checked off every passage as he read it. He had such a a strong faith in the Word of God, seeking to follow the word of God. And listen, if my father truly did have a living faith when he died, then his body now lies in a military graveyard in Phoenix. But his spirit is with Christ in paradise. And you know what that means? If that's the case, I didn't really lose my father. I just lost contact with my father. For a time. Randy Alcorn in his book, 90 Days of God's Goodness, he talks about uh, his longtime friend Jerry. <clears throat> Jerry was a strong believer. And Randy, don't read it yet. It's up there too early. You've got to hear me set it up. Randy was with his, uh, his good friend Jerry. Uh, been a Christian his whole life, Jerry had. And Randy was with Jerry on his deathbed. Randy was reading the book of Revelation to Jerry when he took his last breath. And Randy says this in his book. Jerry and I had attended our grade school and high school graduations together, celebrating afterward. And now that day, I was with him again at his greatest graduation from this life to the next. Make no mistake, Jerry didn't come to an end. My friend simply left his temporary residence, relocating to a better place. His death didn't end our friendship. It only interrupted it. The friendship that began on earth will resume and thrive someday in a far better world. Lord, please greet Jerry for me. And tell him I'm looking forward to new adventures together better than any of those great times we had here in the Shadowlands. (laughs) Man, I read that just a day or two after my father's death. And I paused and I said, Lord, please greet my dad for me. And tell him I'm looking forward to new adventures with him in a far better world. I don't believe I lost my dad. I believe I lost contact with him for a time. For I believe his spirit is now with Christ. On my father's gravestone under his name, we had them describe just, we had them inscribe just five simple words. 
death. Where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15. Death for a believer is simply the entrance into something much better. The spirit now with Christ. The body now sleeping. Finally at rest from all its labor. No more toil. No more fatigue. No more weariness. Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord that they may rest from their labors. But man, here's the amazing thing. That right there, that, that, that condition right there, the spirit with Christ and the body asleep in the grave, that right there is not the final state of a believer. I think a lot of people think it is. When you die, your, your, your spirit's with Christ somewhere in the clouds, and that's your eternal estate. You're like that forever. But that's not your final heaven That's just a temporary state for you. That's what theologians call the believer's intermediate state. Not your final heaven. No, the first thing Paul says in this passage here is that the dead in Christ are now simply asleep. But the second thing Paul says here is this, the dead in Christ will soon rise again. Because here's the thing. Jesus Christ, after he died on that cross, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. A bodily resurrection. A glorified, perfected body. A real, living, breathing, flesh and blood body. Jesus, after his resurrection, he ate with his disciples. He walked and he talked with his disciples. They touched his hands and his feet. They worshipped him when they grabbed his feet. They embraced him. This resurrected body of Jesus Christ. It was still his body. They recognized him over time. It was just a much better version of his body. And the Bible says in no uncertain terms that that very thing that happened to Christ, this bodily resurrection from the dead, well, that right there will also happen to every person who truly trusts in Christ. Paul tells us about it. If you look again at verse 13, Paul says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those believers who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because Jesus died, but then rose again, God will now ultimately cause every single believer who trusts in Christ also to rise again. Look at verse 15. Here's how it's going to happen. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise First, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Man, you just think about that. The Bible says Jesus is returning again. 
He's coming back. Jesus said to his disciples right when he ascended to heaven in the same way, or the angels said to the disciples in the same way, he just ascended from you, he will come again. In bodily form, the same body that rose from the dead will descend back to this earth. He'll descend, Paul says, with a cry of command. The voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet. You remember during his earthly life, Jesus, after Lazarus had died, he spoke a word. Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus, when he returns, he will speak another word. Believers, come forth. And in that moment, those who are dead in Christ, the deceased bodies of every single believer throughout the history of this world will then rise from the dead, no longer asleep, but now fully awake. You use alarm clock in the morning to wake up? (laughs) Well, that right there will be the best alarm clock ever. Wake up. From the dead and every believer's body, every believer who has died, the bodies will be resurrected. And the spirits of those resurrected bodies that have been with Christ in that temporary paradise, those spirits will now then rejoin those bodies. Now spirit and body. And Paul says in verse 16 that those newly resurrected believers will then rise first to meet Jesus descending from, the, from heaven in the air. And Paul then says that those believers still living when Christ returns, well, they will also then be caught up together with them to meet Christ in the air. And listen, by the time everything is then said and done, Jesus will bring all of his resurrected people into their final, eternal heaven. And what will that final heaven be like? You won't be floating on a cloud. You ever see the old Far Side commercial with the guy sitting up on the cloud all by himself? And the caption is, wish I'd brought a magazine. (laughs) Well, that's not going to be you if you trust in Christ. You won't be floating on a cloud. What will that final heaven be like? Think of it like this. A resurrected body in a resurrected creation with a resurrected Christ. Every single believer throughout the history of the world will be raised and have a new resurrected body. Like the body of Christ when he rose again from the dead, a glorified, perfected body, a real living flesh and blood body. It will still be your body, the one I'm looking at right now, but it will just be the much better version. (laughs) It won't just be iPhone 7, it will be iPhone bazillion. (laughs) It will be iBody bazillion. (laughs) The bazillion version of your body, whatever that would be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this. He says that when a believer now dies, the body of that believer is sown in the ground like a seed. 
Paul says it goes into the ground perishable, it goes in in dishonor, it goes in in weakness. But Paul says that when it comes out of the ground, it will be imperishable, glorified, and powerful. Your body only much, much better. Johnny Erickson taught a Christian woman who has spent the majority of her life paralyzed from the neck down. She says this. Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand. When you contrast atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs, I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better, brighter Johnny. Your body only Much better. But listen, it will be a real body. You'll eat and drink in that body with other believers. (laughs) You'll walk and talk. You will look at people through the eyes on your glorified body. You will laugh with people. You will touch them. You will embrace them. But listen, There will be no more sin in your body. So you will no longer experience any of the effects of sin. No suffering. No pain. No aging. No fatigue or sickness or disease or death. Revelation 21.4 says this. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Just think about that. That's the final heaven for a Christian, a resurrected body. But listen, that body won't just live up on a cloud somewhere. No, that resurrected body will live in a resurrected creation. This present creation, this this fallen world all around us, which is now groaning under the effects of sin. Romans 8 says that when Jesus returns, this present creation will then be liberated from its groaning, somehow be restored or renewed, A, a new heaven and earth, the Bible says, a resurrected creation. Do you think Jesus is going to lose anything of that which he originally created? No way. No way. Jesus talks in John 19 about the renewal of all things. 1 Peter 3.21 says Jesus will remain in heaven until the time for restoring all things. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. But in that movie, Jesus is heading to his crucifixion. He's on his knees under the weight of the cross, bloodied beyond recognition. He looks up at his shocked and grieving mother. And he says, Behold, I make all things new. And that comes straight out of the book of Revelation 21.5. Here it is. Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. The resurrected creation. 
In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the land of Narnia was under the white witch's spell. And the spell was a perpetual, very bleak winter in Narnia. Narnia was, quote, always winter but never Christmas. Until Aslan returned. (laughs) And the land then began to thaw. (laughs) Creation liberated from its groaning. And that's what Christ will do. We live in the shadow land here. A shadow of that which we will ultimately experience. But someday Jesus will remove the shadows. And those who are Christ will experience that resurrected creation. J.C. Ryle, he says this. He says, everything in heaven will be glorified. Even nature itself. You just think about it. The most vibrant of colors unimaginable sights and smells and sounds. You think a meadow smells good right now. Think of it in heaven, smelling it through a nose that's not tainted by sin. Think of the colors that you'll see when you look through eyes that are no longer tainted, corrupted by sin. Crystal blue streams, the greenest of grass and and trees, pounding waterfalls, singing birds, a glorious creation. A resurrected body in a resurrected creation. And the best part of the whole thing is that we'll live there with a resurrected Christ. That same Jesus who rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago, He will be there in that new creation. He now lives in heaven, in that temporary heaven, but He will then live with His people. Heaven will then be on earth. Jesus with His people. He'll be there. You'll walk and talk with Christ. You will eat and drink with Christ. You will laugh with Christ. You will touch Christ. You will embrace Christ. You will fall on your knees and grab His feet and worship Christ. You will enjoy Christ. Revelation 22.4 You will see His face. The very face that rose from the dead. You will look into it, gazing into the very face of God Himself, which we are not able to see here in this life because of sin. But there you will. Fanny Crosby, who wrote Christian hymns in the 1800s, she was blind from birth, but she said this. She said, don't pity me for my blindness, for the first face I ever see will be the face of my Lord Jesus. Don't pity me. Don't pity me. And we will see and enjoy the risen Christ there in that new creation forever. Forever. Do you know this life right now? It's a dot compared to the eternal line that goes on and on forever. We will see and be with Christ and worship and enjoy Christ forever. Did you catch what Paul said at the end of verse 17? He said, and so we will always be with the Lord. And that's heaven. That's heaven. That's the final and eternal heaven. The believer's final and eternal state. Resurrected body in a resurrected creation with a resurrected Christ. 
But once again, that's only for those who die in Christ. You know, John 5, 28, Jesus, He says everyone will ultimately be raised from the dead. But only those who truly follow Him will be raised to eternal life. Those who don't truly follow Him, Jesus Christ says, they will be raised to eternal judgment. So there it is. That, that's the Christian's hope beyond the grave. The dead in Christ are now simply asleep and the dead in Christ will soon be raised. And if you are now in Christ, you have a living, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, then that's your true home. That's the home you were created for. The home where your true possessions lie. On Jordan's stormy banks, I now stand here in this life and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy lands where my possessions lie. All o'er those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the Son forever reigns and scatters night away. And man, I firmly believe that in that true and happy land, that new creation, I will see my Father again. I will see God, my Father, <laughs> Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I will see my earthly dad. Talk with him, laugh with him, embrace him, call him dad. In one sense, my dad reached the end of the trail a couple weeks ago. He did. But in another sense, if my dad truly died with a genuine faith in Christ, then that, that was just the beginning of the trail. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis says this, Heaven is where we finally begin chapter 1 of the great story, which goes on forever, every chapter better than the one before. Randy Alcorn says this, It's in heaven where we really will live happily ever after. And right when we think it can't get any better than this, it will. Forever and ever and ever. There it is, the Christian's hope beyond the grave. And man, my simple hope and prayer for everyone here is that you would truly repent and you would cling to Christ in faith and that you would enjoy forever the Christian's hope beyond the grave. The Lord is risen. And His resurrection changed everything. Father, we thank You. We thank You. You didn't leave this creation. You didn't leave us lost and apart from You, separated from You. You didn't leave us, Lord. Father, we thank You for Your mercy, Your great love, sending Jesus we believe Jesus lived, died, rose again. We believe there's a future. A future beyond the grave because of Christ. And I just ask now, Father, You would spark heart, spark faith in our hearts. You would enable us to cling to Christ in faith. You would strengthen our faith to believe that this present life, the present state of things here on this earth, this is not our home. 
We have a much better home coming. An eternal home, a perfect home, a real home, a real creation, a real body, a real Christ. Father, we will again see the people we love, talk with them, embrace them. Spend, spend eternity in there exploring heaven, exploring the wonders of Christ, the beauties of Christ, the glories of Christ. Father, spark hard in our faith today. May we not just sing about resurrection. I pray, Lord God, that in Jesus Christ, we would all taste resurrection into eternal life when Christ returns. We thank you for it, Father. Our hope beyond the grave in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.